I also believe that the businesses that are, you know, trying to be quite funky and cool and often fully remote working, now that's going to have some real benefits in regards to being able to hire anyone from anywhere and dipping into a bigger pool of talent. But I think what you'll find is you'll create a bit of a wild, wild west where, you know, the average tenure is going to drop right down because ultimately their loyalty is not going to be necessarily to the individual. And I think at that point when more money or more interesting work comes up, you'll find that people will start jumping and they'll have less connection with someone. So they'll find it an easier move to make. So I think ultimately for me, the core part, if you want to have a culture, if you want to drive the right sort of outcomes from your team, you've got to get them face to face. And that is maybe a traditional view, but I think that that work from home or work-life balance is important, but not to the detriment of your own team as well. The first Data Futurology event for next year is going to be Ops World data-centric operations for business value. We're going to be hosting the community in person at the Sofitel Wentworth in Sydney on March 14th and 15th. We're going to be discussing operationalizing securely for business value, impact and scale. What are we operationalizing? Everything across the data analytics and AI space. We're bringing all the ops perspectives together into this one event. So it's going to be data ops, operationalizing data pipelines, analytics ops, operationalizing our analytics, MLOps and AI ops about operationalizing machine learning and artificial intelligence in our businesses. We're going to be discussing processes, frameworks, the observability and the future of this space. Check out the website for more and hope to see you there. I'd like to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading specialist data recruitment business. With offices in Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane, they're experts at providing recruitment strategy and building data teams for clients across industries Australia-wide. They provide recruitment solutions for all roles across the data lifecycle, including data engineering, data science, advanced analytics, customer and marketing insights, business intelligence, data product managers, and data governance. They're skilled at finding the best permanent and contract hires for your business needs, as well as statement of work, project-focused data resources. At Talent Insights, relationships matter most. I can say from first-hand experience, Talent Insights are fantastic to work with. Whether you're a business leader within an HR network or a specialist data candidate, Talent Insights should be the first company you turn to for all your data recruitment needs. Find them at talentinsights.com.au. Hi, this is Felipe Flores. Welcome to Data Futurology. Today, we're going to be discussing retail analytics, building teams, what's been happening in that industry and what the next round of skills we need for the future in that space. I am joined by a very, very special guest. First, we have Catherine Galifa, who is the head of data and analytics at Catch. We also have Nick Mary, who is the head of analytics partner and members at Flybys. And we have Stu Gartland, who's a director at Talent Insights Group. Guys, how are you all feeling today? Good. Very good. Yeah, nice, nice. Good, good notes there. I like it. Um, so we might do a, a round of intros to hear about your, your role and your remit. We might start with Catherine and go around. Thanks, Felipe. My role at Catch, I'm the head of data and analytics. I've been at Catch just over two months, um, so still relatively new to the whole retail scene. Um, background prior to Catch was in um, Victorian government and banking um, for sort of 12 plus years. So very different moving from a corporate world into a sort of startup tech company um, vibe. 
um, but really exciting to, to make that change. Um, and at Catch, my data and analytics team supports the, the whole business. Um, and so we have uh, teams that focus on marketing digital, uh, on the whole marketplace and retail and customer service space operations, and also the fulfillment process um, from the, the dispatch and delivery of, of orders. So lots of really different um, use cases when it comes to data and analytics. Yeah, that's super interesting. Uh, keen to to dive into those those spaces. Um, and for the people who don't know, uh, Catch is um, is part of the West Farmers Group now. Is that right? We are. Yes. So we joined West Farmers a few years ago, and we've recently um, joined part of a new division called One Digital, um, which includes Catch, One Data, and One Pass, our customer loyalty program. Um, so it gives us a really strong focus around um, data and digital capability to support the, the whole West Farmers Group. So it's a um, pretty exciting place to be. Super exciting. Thank you. Thanks, Catherine. Um, Stu, uh, from your side, intro and remit. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So hi, um, uh, as you mentioned, I'm the director for Talent Insights in Victoria. Um, I've been with Talent Insights now for uh, literally a couple of years now. Uh, my background is 16 years in recruitment, but I've only and always specialized in data analytics. Um, a lot of that is um, focusing on retail clients, of course, as well. Um, we do work closely with the West Farmers group as well. So um, we focus very much on placing data analytics professionals into organizations and um, very much focusing on data science, data engineering and insights and those sort of areas. Amazing. Amazing. Thanks. Thanks, mate. Um, and Nick, uh, your um, your um, remit at the moment and, and your role? Yeah, sure. Look, <clears throat> so the role is um, head of uh, analytics, uh, a partner and member. Um, and I guess I describe um, the team as really the outward facing function, um, analytics function for Five Eyes. Um, so our key, um, our key remit is to look after the analytics requirements of our key shareholders um, and they are and, and partners and, and they are dominated by uh, both Coles uh, retail group and also then the West Farmers retail group, which includes uh, CAT as well. So that's uh, Bunnings, Target, uh, Officeworks um, and, um, uh, and, and Kmart. Um, so, so that's, look, I've been there for, I've been here for about three years. Um, prior to that, <clears throat> had a number of stints, um, both on service side and client side. So a uh, small stint with PwC, Experian, Telstra. Um, and prior to that, I had a major, um, I, I guess, change of career to an extent because I, I started my career actually in the mining industry. Um, so uh, I often say that I started off analysing data about rocks and then at some point switched to looking at people. So uh that's that's my history. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, when it, when you're mining, it it seems like uh, it's more of a closed loop system that you have sort of a lot of a lot of machinery, a lot of sensor data. Um, there's a lot of physics that that go into play, and um, you can get much more um, accurate and reliable models and predictions when compared to when you analyze people and their behavior. Um, there's definitely a, a, a drop there in, in accuracy and predictability. And then when you throw in things like COVID, then it gets even even trickier. Absolutely. And don't don't get me triggered on on um, on on uh, on the mining industry because I'll get excited. Um, but um, <clears throat> but that's a whole other story. But the one thing I would say, the one thing I would say is that people to a certain extent are actually somewhat we are we are quite predictable. Um, and uh, 
uh, we're all sort of basically built off the same sort of plan. So we once once we get large volumes of us, we uh, we become quite usefully predictable from an analytics perspective, I guess. <laughs> very interesting, very interesting. And Catherine, yeah, a few notes from your side. Um, how do you feel about the the predictability of of people? I think um, if we ask an individual, they might not feel like they're or they might feel like they don't want to admit that we're predictable. Uh, but how, how does it look uh, from your side? I know personally, I'm an incredibly routine person. So I would say I'm very predictable. <laughs> but um, that's the, the thing I've always loved about analytics. It's always been in the customer space because I just think there's so many interesting things that we can model and um, discover about people, behaviours, preferences, affinities, um, the, the possibilities are endless. And I think when I sort of first started my career and realised segmentation is not about uh, a finite or it's, there's no right or wrong. <laughs> so there are a number of different um, segmentation models that you could build and they're all suitable for different purposes. And so you don't, as a, an individual, fall into one segment ever. Um, it's really a, a closest fit. And so that that was a real, I guess, insight into um, the fact that we can categorise people, but they're always going to be outliers and people that are the edge of profiles that might, you know, dip in between different profiles at times, depending on what's happening in life events and um, or even just in daily events. Um, we do a thing called um, Happy Fingers where you just give your how you're feeling for the day from a one to five and it's based on your whole of life and sometimes it's your home life that's driving the way you're feeling and other times it's your work life that's driving the way that you're feeling so I think um, as humans you know we can dip in and out of segments and um, we might have a core set of preferences that we tend to stick to but there will be times that we stray outside of those so um, that's what sort of keeps me coming back to customer analytics. I love it. Ah, oh, that's excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I think um, it's it's uh, very related to the um, the next topic I wanted us to jump into, which is around um, team building in in retail. And and I think a lot of very a lot of similarities to what you just said there, Catherine, in terms of that um, people in our teams will have uh, different preferences over time, maybe different priorities. And as we build our teams, we have to uh, create the um, the flexibility and the, the pathways uh, for people to um, have a, a longevity in their careers and be able to shift um, across time. Um, from from you guys, maybe maybe I'll ask you, Nick, first. Um, how how have you gone uh, building up your your team on um, uh, in your in your time at Flybys? Uh, what are the things that you've been looking at? Uh, how how's that been going? Yeah, look, it's it's been an interesting story, and, and look, to be fair, I've 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 looked after this team, supported this team for just over two years now. It has been an established team, and in fact, I would it'd be interesting to see, you know, in terms of other sort of major analytics functions across sort of tier one businesses. I suspect that this team has been in place for for longer than most. Um, when you think the Flybys program started twenty five years ago, sorry, twenty seven years ago, I think it is now. Um, right. Uh, you know, it's been around for quite some time, and, and analytics has obviously formed a, um, a sort of key part of that um, of that business for a long time in terms of being able to, you know, uh, target and personalise messages, um, providing members value, partners value, and those sorts of things. So the, the team has been established for a long time. What I would say has changed is the amount of um, 
the amount of um, pressure on analytics teams generally to uh, create insight with real business relevance. Now, we've always talked about that, but I think today um, there's far higher expectations than there were even, let's say, five, ten years ago for analytics teams to really be able to join up that insight uh, right into the critical parts of the business, both tactically and strategically. And that's an area I think has really fascinated me and we'll probably explore that a bit more as, as we continue to talk. But that's that's probably the main thing that I think we've identified with this team, and that is trying to really build the capability for communication back into stakeholders, businesses. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And and um and do you find that people uh in, in the team and um are and maybe in the industry more broadly are wanting to understand and learn the, the domain uh, knowledge, the, the business acumen uh, to be able, and, and the communication skills to then be able to uh, both get better insights and target that message at the, at the right level? It's, it's, a great, it's a great question. And I, and, I think, and I think it's one of the challenges for someone who goes into analytics and is particularly focused on uh, the real hardcore technical statistics, data science, and those sorts of things, which is which is obviously you know a career in itself and absolutely vital to if you like this profession. Um, some people have uh, that skill set, but also have an aptitude and an interest in perhaps what you might describe as softer skills of relationship management, of actually building out communications abilities with stakeholders. I don't think it's for everyone. And I think it's a big decision often in, in um, you know, an analytics or, or data science career to make the choice to move more towards what I might call that sort of more consulting, um, you know, people talk about analytics translators, uh, that side of the, of the industry, uh, because the reality is it often takes people away from the hands-on technical um, and, you know, you, it's a difficult path. It's a bit difficult path to, tr- to walk back from. Once you're down there a few years, um, we know that technology, we know that um, uh, the, the, um, the capabilities of, um, uh, of the industry change so fast uh, that you've got a lot of catch up to do if you're out of it for even a few years, I think. Yeah, really nice. Thank you. And Catherine, from, from your side, how do you see the... Um, the, the, the balance or, or for some people might feel like a competition between the soft skills and the technical skills and, um, and how do you uh, position those when you, um, when you design your team structures? Um, well, I have a confession. I'm not a fan of analytics translator roles because I think it absolves analysts from developing the skills of consultation and um, you know, defining a problem. And I think what differentiates good analysts from really good analysts is that understanding of business context and that ability to really drill down into what's actually important to the business. Um, And I'll answer that question specifically. I think analysts can tend to want to boil the ocean or um, want to use the most sophisticated techniques. And I look, I generalise. but um, the, the really good analysts that I see are those that are able to really, you know, crystallise that understanding of what's the business trying to solve and, you know, solve for that problem in particular. So I think it can can um, absolve analysts from, from developing those skill sets that I think need to be part of everyone's um, capabilities. 
there's obviously a continuum, as Nick spoke to. <laughs> there are some roles that are highly business-facing and so need to be strong in that space and others that aren't, but I do think it needs to be, you know, on the spectrum um, for every role. Um, and then when it comes to recruitment, I, I always think the technical skills can be taught if you've got the technical aptitude. So as Nick mentioned, the, the technology landscape's changing so rapidly all the time that if you really try and peg yourself to recruiting people that have experience only with particular tech, um, then you're really limiting your options. So I think it's um, about recognising the technical aptitude um, and so then the ability to train people across different platforms, um, if that's the case. Harder to train is um, curiosity and proactivity and, you know, the whole behavioural elements of the, the soft skills. Um, so that tends to be what I look for in an interview process is really um, strong sort of performance in the soft skills with an aptitude to, to be able to learn the, the technical elements. Um, we all want the unicorns, of course, but um, I'm sure Stu can talk to the nature of the market at the moment. It's hot, hot, hot. So um, you've kind of got to, you got to take what you can get at the moment and look, be a bit more creative about looking for um, options that, that might um, work together or balance off each other. And that's where sometimes building an entire team at one time can be actually more um, or easier than looking for one individual to slot into an existing team because you can make those trade-offs around um, subject matter expertise or soft skills versus tech skills. Yeah, very nice. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and Stu, from from your perspective, how does it look at a at an industry level, and um, what what do you see other um, type of skills in demand in, in retail space, or types of roles that that people could consider um, at a I guess at, as a, at an industry perspective? What what are your your views on on a retail analytics side? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that um, to what Nick and Catherine said, I think that. Over the last couple of decades, I think we've gone through a few iterations of what the market's been looking for. And I think that the answer is always that the reality is that you should always be looking for something in between. I think that originally everyone was looking for overly technical people to slot in and do some work. And I think that's around the industry, not necessarily understanding the value that what these people were, were driving and giving. And then suddenly they clued up to the business impacts that these people could, could drive. And then it became the ability to deal with stakeholders and the technical side of things tended to not be as important. And I think where we're, where we're at right now is we're in a position where um, things like analytics translators or you know, business engagement roles are becoming you know, pivotal and key to businesses. And I don't necessarily believe that's to, to Gatton's point is the right answer. I think what you should be trying to find is people that have not necessarily the polished and ready to go consulting skills, but the curiosity, the engagement, the, the, the wanting to understand why they do something and what impact their work actually has on the business that they work for. Um, and, but I think that right now we're in a position where as an industry, particularly across retail, there is a traditional dynamic in team structures where we are saying to someone that if you are a talented data scientist or you are a talented data analyst, in order to further your career, the next step is to lead people or to manage people or to, or to take on that type of structure. And I don't believe that is the right way of doing it. It's in the essence of in my industry where typically, you know, leaders get promoted by being the best salespeople. I don't think that's necessarily the right way of doing things. 
ultimately someone should want to choose to lead people or learn how it is to manage people. And, and that should be one career path. I think that where we fall down, particularly in retail settings, is that we don't let that SME or that person that just wants to build cool models you know, for the rest of their career, we don't give them the financial or the status to give them the incentive to want to drive down that path. So I think that as an industry, particularly when we're in a market where it is very candidate driven and, you know, everyone has lots of different options of who to join and where to join. Um, we, we are also finding that particularly in the generation, um, you know, the new generation of analytics professionals is that they don't necessarily want to leave. They don't necessarily need to have to have the title or the kudos of being that position. Um, so we're finding businesses that are getting ahead of that are offering career tracks that are technically focused rather than leadership focused. And I think that that's the trend that I'm seeing in regards to candidates that are picking organizations that are valuing their skills rather than the skills that they want them to develop and want them to be. That's great. That's a really interesting point. Uh, uh, and what, what's the right level of expectation that we should have or the, the right type of expectations that we should have on those uh, technical specialist roles as they increase in seniority? And one of the areas that I'm thinking about is around the, the domain knowledge or the SME, um, the SME knowledge there uh, from the industry. Should we expect the technical experts to have uh, a lot of and, and develop a lot of that domain knowledge, or do you think they should sit more on the on the on the people that are um, on the analysts that are more business focused? Um, and yeah, so I guess the, the the question is expectations on the technical people only technical, or should they um, look to specialize in the industry as well? Uh, yeah, maybe okay. it's a very good point. I think ultimately. Yes and no. I think that I think if you go down that track and you want to be that specialist, having that domain knowledge is obviously going to help. I think that the answer is if you want to go down a technical path, um, where the trade-off is, if you're not going into that leadership function, if you're not going to take ownership of a department or a team or a division, um, you're taking ownership over projects and, and the deliverables of the models or what, what have you. And what you are doing is you're taking something into production and you are you know, showing value from that side of things. So obviously the domain knowledge is going to be vital and important, but I do believe you can bring those skill sets in. I think as you move into your technical um, uh, role and you become more important, more senior, more experienced. I think actually to Catherine's point and to Nick's point, I think really if you're not leading people, you still should be engaging with the business. What you are learning is you are you are engaged, you are learning the ability to um, demonstrate the value, to have the conversations about why you are doing what you are doing and what impact that's going to have on the business at a more senior level. So rather than dealing with a stakeholder at a peer level, you're probably doing that at an exco level. At exco level. So I think that, yes, domain knowledge is, is, is very, very important. I don't think it necessarily would stop someone from moving from one industry to another industry if they have developed those skills in project management, leadership from a, um, uh, from a technical standpoint and the ability to engage at a senior level and demonstrate value. I, I agree with that from a project perspective. And the other thing I think is around capability. So... When I think probably one of the more successful um, competencies or practices at building out that technical career pathway is in the engineering, data engineering space and, you know, staff engineers, principal engineers. And I'm looking to those sorts of roles for 
advice and thought leadership around the tech roadmap, for example. So I think they can, you know, play a really strong role in strategic pieces um, and really own, yeah, that that technical domain um, for their, their particular competency. Probably find it harder to translate to like the data analyst business analytics side. Um, I think that's typically where you do run into these hurdles. I mean, we, we were facing these problems, yeah, like thanks for ageing us, Stu, two decades ago. Um, back in my banking days, we were talking about, you know, that lack of career progression for technical um, analytics professionals, and I don't know that we've had much improvement in that space. I think data scientists, data engineers, that are the more technical professions, it, there's the room for that, but perhaps still lacking somewhat in the business analytics sort of data analyst space. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. And 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 I think, um, and, and maybe this is a good good topic to dive into around the the tenures. Uh, so longevity, longevity in roles, and what type of things we can do to start to increase that uh, is definitely something that. Um, uh, a pain point that that I feel, I know that a, a lot of our other leaders uh, feel it as well. Uh, maybe Nick, uh, from from your side, any any thoughts on um, increasing tenures at, at jobs? What what type of things we could be doing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think you know, and, and it's probably a topic we're going to talk about anyway. But I think you know the the obvious example is a recent um, you know pandemic and the work from home and those sorts of things feeding into then. Um, you know, not just in this industry, but every industry, a level of expectation around work-life balance, um, which has become a now reality for many people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, it's very, very quickly got to the point where that is an absolute expectation and you get asked that in job interviews now. So I think providing, you know, we've often we've often talked in the past about the fact that, oh, well, you know, it's not all about the remuneration. Think about the culture. Think about all of these other exciting opportunities that you've got here for career progression. Um and and that's and that's true, but I, I think we it was a little bit of lip service in the past, and everyone would sort of nod and go, oh, "Yeah, culture is really important." Now, how much are you paying me? Uh, that's what we really wanted to know. <laughs> um, I think look, that's a maturity thing as well. I think as you mature through your career, you have a, a slightly more holistic view of of the environments that you like being in, the environments that you don't like being in. Uh, so that's an individual development too. Um, I do think culture is important, um, but it will only take you so far. Uh, and I often think of it as a little bit of a, a sort of a physics dynamic of sort of potential energy. Uh, the greater the difference between what you're paying and what the market's paying, uh, there's that pull, if you like, that sort of uh, pull to, to, to um, you're going to lose people, basically, the bigger that differential. And the bigger that differential, gee, your culture's going to have to get really, really good to fill that gap. And, and so it's a bit of a continuum with that, I think. Um, it's an it's an interesting one though. The other thing is, I was going to say, and I I, I love um, Catherine mentioned earlier on in the conversation about it's a spectrum and the expectation that there's a spectrum of capabilities in terms of business um, uh, uh, business um, acumen, if you like, and and, and knowledge. Um, I think also it's the same with people across many many dimensions, and I think some people um, are much happier and would like to see that longevity in their in in their employment and with their employer obviously culture plays a part there um other people um really do like uh moving on um and after three or four years whether that's personality wise whatever it is some people are just going to get that itch and going to say look I, i just need something new i need a new challenge uh so it is it's an individual thing as well i think 
Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I've I've definitely um, changed my my personal views throughout my career. That early on, I did want to uh, move move on and get exposure to uh, to new environments, uh, new industries, new companies, cultures, tech stack, etc. New types of problems. Um, and over time, I've I've changed my views to um, realize that there's it takes time to have the impact that you want in an organization. That is not about coming in, solving a technical problem, and then walking out being like, it's done. Now the company is going to be great. On to the next one. Um, that you know, you need you need to drive a little the cultural side, the adoption, change management, um, and that those things take time. And, and as a result, I've, I've noticed a shift in, in one of my biases in, in hiring that, you know, like we all, we all have um, biases in there. But I do look for people that have longer tenures um, and, and ideally people who uh, have experience in the industry that shows me that there is a level of interest. But I don't know, I don't know if, if those are fair, right? Like it's, it's kind of um, something that's in a state of flux. Uh, maybe Stu, I'll, I'll ask for your for your thoughts on on uh, ten years, uh, increasing ten years, and and whether we should be um, considering people with longer ten years. What what do you think? An industry experience? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that from a from a should we be considering people with longer or shorter ten years? Really depends on what the role is and what you actually want from that individual. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that you've got to think about. You know, there are some high level technical roles I think of in regards to if you're in the process of building your platform or, you know, uh, you know, bringing in a data engineer, for instance, that has gone across three or four different builds over the last four or five years might be useful because from that perspective, you've got three or four different pain sets, you know, lots of different scars in regards to what went wrong and, and more importantly, what went right. So from that perspective, maybe you would be a little bit more considerate as someone that actually has two year, 10 years across three different companies. Um, however, if you've got someone from an insights perspective where you're looking to build up a function and you're adding, you're wanting to build up an, an environment where, for instance, in your case, Felipe, you're looking to actually drive back to, to hospitals and you actually try and build those relationships with those hospitals, for instance, having someone that's done that over for a company over a period of five, six years, for instance, would be useful because from that perspective, you can have that, you have that kind of confidence that as long as you're providing the right culture and the right environment for that individual, that that person's going to stick around because ultimately from an insights perspective, the IP is always in the individual rather than the technology that they're using or the, the data sets that they're getting the insights from. It's that person understanding how to engage, how to deliver those insights and, and to build those relationships as well. So I think it really does depend on, you know, what you're looking for and where, where you are in you know, the process of building something or delivering something. I think that in regards to, I'm going to say something a little bit controversial in regards to tenure and how to keep people. I, I think that we've gone into a quite an extreme state post pandemic and there is this flexibility that is around that I think will be to the detriment of a lot of people in the sense of fully remote working one day a week in the office. I think that as human beings, whether we like to think we do or we don't, we do feed off other humans and we build bonds with people. And I think that, you know, coming into the office two, three times a week and ideally being around that three mark, I think is really where people are settling. I think that is 
where you're going to find increased tenure because yes, you can pay them well, you can give them interesting work, but ultimately we make friends with our colleagues. We we like and we respect and we want to you know be mentored by our leaders and to do that from afar is difficult and having that human interaction is very important. So the businesses that expect people to come back five days a week are gonna suffer. But I also believe that the businesses that are you know trying to be quite funky and cool and offering fully remote working, now that's gonna have some real benefits in regards to being able to hire anyone from anywhere and dipping into a bigger pool of talent. But I think what you'll find is you'll create a bit of a wild, wild west where, you know, the average tenure is going to drop right down because ultimately their loyalty is not going to be necessarily to the individual. And I think at that point, when more money or more interesting work comes up, you'll find that people will start jumping and they'll have less connection with someone. So they'll find it an easier move to make. So I think ultimately for me, the core part, if you want to have a culture, if you want to drive the right sort of outcomes from your team, You've got to get them face to face. And that is maybe a traditional view, but I think that that work from home or work-life balance is important, but not to the detriment of your own team as well. Well, mate, I feel very old in saying I totally agree. <laughs> I love hearing that. Can we like record that and yeah. be able to play that back to candidates in the interview process and team members? Exactly. We're gonna put a, yeah, I'm going to put a link to, to, um, to this on um, all of the, my job ads. Well, so, again, it's very old, but I do think that, you know, to your point, Felipe, when you're saying that, you know, in the early part of your career, you wanted one thing and now you want another thing. I think you'll find that, um, <laughs> sound very old here, but I do believe that people have to make their own mistakes and they, and they will think that they want one thing. I know that even now, I think I want certain things and I end up doing something completely different. And I think that you'll find that the workforce in general, um, not everyone, because you will get overly introverted technical people that will just love the idea of working remote forever. But, oh, you know, the majority of people, I believe, will eventually get to the point where, um, you know, they get back into the office. I've seen it already, people telling me, I've, I've just come back to the office for the first time for a couple of days a week and forgot how much I loved it. I mean, even simple as the sandwich shop that you used to get your lunch from, you know, and you forgot how good that sandwich, <clears throat> you know, the ability to walk around the town and actually figure out different lunch options. Silly things like that are coming back to people and they're realizing that, you know, your, your life doesn't have to be stuck in, you know, your, your bedroom. <laughs> you know, you can, you can actually get out there again. Yeah, Nick? I was just, just going to say, I, I, I still laugh at myself because, you know, I've been traveling on a tram into Melbourne City for 25 years every day. And I, I could, you could never have convinced me that I'd ever find that exciting. But I tell you what, when I first started going in again, I was like a kid in a, in a theme park. It was great. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's excellent. Um, so I, I know that we have uh, a few minutes left, but I wanted to cover one thing before before we wrap up and it's what what skills are do we need in retail analytics um at the moment what where, where do you guys see the um the gaps greatest needs what type of things are you looking for in your teams um maybe we'll start with uh Catherine and we'll we'll go around i need everything right now <laughs> but, but i what think um <laughs> so I have just filled my data engineers, um, which is great. Now I'm on to digital and marketing analysts. So I think for me, it's probably, um, so moving into retail from banking and, and government, it is that heightened focus on digital, um, digital data experience, web analytics, e-commerce, um, that sort of expertise. Um, 
But again, as we've been talking about, that sort of experience is a plus, um, but it's not a an absolute must-have. So it's the the usual. I mean, it's the same same analysis, different problems, yeah. um, <laughs> different business problems. So it really is the same sort of technical skills that that we've always sought in terms of statistical analysis and um, and yeah, your your engineering space, your your BI development. Um, and then those good soft skills around communication and presentation of complex technical ideas in a simple fashion to non-technical audiences. So the usual stuff. Um, but yeah, I think for me, definitely a, a heightened focus on that sort of web analytics digital space. Yeah, nice. And amazing that you did the engineering side first. Um, and I had I had to, and it's it was hard. <laughs> it's yeah. a really tough market. And I was talking to a recruiter a couple of weeks ago and lamenting the lack of applications for roles that I just couldn't understand because we're you know we're the cool kids <laughs> we're we're the the tech part of of West Farmers you know we've got the the whole West Farmers group behind us it's an exciting space and I couldn't understand it and the the recruiter said to me um people don't apply for roles anymore they get headhunted by people like us um and so they're just fielding so many offers proactively from recruitment agencies that um it's not about you know being in the market and actively searching anymore there's just constant offers being fielded and if you think it's not happening to your people it is so um, I think it's just a new reality that we need to to learn to live with and you know, it just makes that discussion we were having around culture and the reasons why people are, you know, doing what they're doing, the purpose of their roles, um, the whole organisational culture piece, you know, becomes really important. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Nick, from, from your side, uh, what, what, are, what are the, the areas with uh, skill gaps at the moment? What, what do you find as the greatest need? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm going to just say ditto to everything Catherine said. I think it's, uh, you know, I think she's right on the money in terms of uh, the environment we find ourselves in. Um, one of the things about digital, um, totally important. One of the uh, encouraging things I'm seeing, and again, this, this does um, you know, speak to some of the skill sets we need, and that is having digital analytics not as separate functions, but but rather it was separate entities within an organisation, but more integrated with the broader view of um, you know consumer analytics. Uh, yeah. For too long, for too long, you know, there's been a digital department and there's been a, a marketing and consumer analytics department. And I think seeing those together and having people who can work across the two is incredibly important um, if, if people have got those backgrounds and will become more so, I think, over, over time. Um, it, the other ones, you know, and again, uh, as I said, ditto to everything Catherine said, but um, also some of the things that we're looking at. And I think this is probably, you know, obviously a bit of flavour of the month, obviously, with um, you know, cybersecurity being incredibly important. Um, but also things like um, data governance. And data governance is great. You know, it, 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 um, we've we've um, you know we we all hold such significant you know first party data assets. Um, and and as and as um, you know, I think we like to say um, you know, we are custodians of that. We're not owners of that information, and we have to treat that in 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 that way. Um, and and so data governance is incredibly important from the way that it meshes, if you like, with security. But on the other side of data governance is, of course, all of the really cool things that analysts and data scientists get out of great data governance, um, like lineage, like, you know, all of the, 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 the metadata, all of that information that just speeds up um, everything that we do. 
Um, so I guess that would be my, my only other call out. Yeah. yeah, I'm doubling down on that. 12 months ago, I would have said if I was going to reinvent my career, I'd be coming back as a data governance specialist. It's such a hard role. You need that technical knowledge of data management practices, but then you need the people skills to be able to get organisational traction around data governance processes and concepts. So really tough one. I agree. I agree. And I think it's an area that's uh, ripe for uh, in, increase increase automation in the tools in the tool set um, to um, to take it from in my perspective um, take it from kind of like a, a something that's adjacent to where the project's being done bring in some automation for it to be a core part of the delivery um, area yeah. and I think that there's there's a really interesting space for innovation there um, but um, yes yeah, too thoughts on what uh, is hot in retail analytics analytics at the moment what where are you seeing the the skills gap and and highest interest yeah well I mean I, I mean it would be remiss of me to say you know not to say everything at the moment because everyone's looking for everything but um I think that you know to to both Catherine and Nick's point I think they're they're, they're spot on in regards to think digital um, the reality is the retail analytics is going to become more digitally focused as years go on to the point in which it's going to be the forefront of everything they do. I think brick and mortar is going to always remain, but I think the concept of digital analytics and e-commerce is, is only going to increase um, exponentially. I think they said that AI is going to have a 24% market share by 2028 in regards to all of e-commerce and, um, and, and uh, digital um, outcomes. So I think that the, um, uh, for me, um, having to what Nick said, I think it's really important. Digital analytics at the moment and data governance also um, is exactly the same. Very, very niche, small markets at the moment. The candidate pools for these areas are, are small. I mean, yes, you could argue the same for data engineers and data scientists. However, you know, we're talking about really small markets here. And I think that is down to the responsibilities of the organizations to realize how data governance and digital analytics is used across their business. And Nick mentioned, you know, to actually bring it into the wider business. I think that everyone that's in an insights team should be trained on digital products and digital tools. Everyone should have access to those things and everyone should be using digital tools in the way in which they're doing their analytics and specifically in a retail setting because if a retail business is becoming more digitally focused, you know, they keep on talking about digital transformations and their marketing teams are doing all these big, you know, bold transformations, yet the analytics teams have one digital analytics person that deals with all of the analysis and they've got 30 customer insights analysts and it makes absolutely no sense. You know, that should be not only one in the same, but everyone should be trained in those tools. Data governance, to your point, Felipe, you know, absolutely can be automated and you can make it more central to what you do. But the fact that you've got one head of data governance that has one data steward for an organization that has 10,000 employees is insane, right? So therefore, when they when someone goes out and looking for a data governance manager and they're, you know, they're upset that this person's going to cost them $220,000, $250,000, it's because they've got the choice of 20 people to, to do it for them who are already in jobs. If organizations actually took data governance seriously and actually brought that into a data function and actually not just had key data governance people but made all the teams responsible and cognizant of the data governance um, in, in what they do and how do it particularly on a technical side you're going to have people that learn those skills develop those skills and might actually choose a career in that path and specialize in the moving forward so it's about the organizations um, taking responsibility for the things that they can't find themselves it's about actually you know 
bringing those skills and those tools to their current teams, which over time will create a much bigger candidate pool for everyone. I love it, mate. Thank you. Well, that brings us to the end. I want to thank you guys so much for sharing your knowledge, perspectives, insights. It's been excellent to dive into retail analytics, everything that's happening there. So thank you so much, Catherine, Stu, Nick. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks very much. Thanks, Felipe. Thanks, Felipe. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.